In your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse number 4. Romans 15, verse number 4. Good to see all of you. Uh, we've been looking forward to this week for some time. Appreciate the invitation extended by your elders to come and to spend this week together. Um, it really, truly is a pleasure for Lisa and I to be here and looking forward to the week. Anything that we can do, we're here to be spent. We're here to be used. We're here for your service. So whatever we can do to help you guys in this work, we certainly want to do that. Um, I've talked to uh, Brother Yancey over the last several months and, and talked about the fact that I would like to talk about some Old Testament stories this week. And I, I know there can be an immediate knee-jerk reaction that goes, well, that could be interesting, you know, kind of thing. But there are some fascinating stories in the Old Testament. And not only do I want you to know the stories, that's one of the goals of the, of the studies, but I also want you to be able to make a modern-day application to those stories. And so some of what we're going to do this week is not only only tell you the story, but how we can make an application in our life, how we can take those stories and use them today. And the first three lessons I want to talk about uh, deal with the subject or the individual of Elisha in the Old Testament. And it covers from 1 Kings chapter 19 to 2 Kings chapter 13, essentially is the story. We're not going to cover it all today, but I'm going to cover the very first part of that um, in 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to begin here in just a moment. But Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, this was not planned out, but whoever does your bulletins is ahead of me. But this is my theme scripture all week long. If some of you younger guys or older guys want to memorize this verse, it's a very good verse. Romans 15, verse number 4. In the bulletin, it's not in the King James, which is the way that I know it, but pick one of those versions. I'm not sure what version uh, the individual used in the, in the bulletin, but it says the same thing. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and hope of the... Uh, and, excuse me, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I just want to spend some time this week dealing with some Old Testament stories, the things that were written aforetime learning and they ultimately give us hope. We can make application to them today as well. So I want to begin this morning by looking at the individual of Elisha and the life of Elisha. And to do that I want to set the stage a little bit in 1 Kings chapter 19 as to what's taking place. There are two individuals in the Old Testament that have very similar names. Elijah and Elisha. And they are two different separate individuals and sometimes individuals when you get to talking about Bible they get those two confused. But Elijah is the one that didn't see death and was caught up in a whirlwind, taken up into heaven. Elisha came on the scene as a mentor, as a mentoree to Elijah. But they're both in the same basic time frame, and, and I want to set the stage for you because where we pick up the calling of Elisha is in the story of Elijah. Elijah is in a cave and he's feeling sorry for himself there in 1 Kings chapter 19. He says, I'm the only faithful one left of the children of Israel. I'm jealous of you, God, because I, you know all you've got is me and you might as well take my life because I'm the only one faithful to serve you. I'm the only one that cares about you, God. Nobody else. Everybody else has bowed the knee to Baal and has gone after false gods and that kind of thing. I'm the only one that's faithful to you. And God tells Elijah, get up, get out of the cave. You've got a job to do. In fact, there are over 7,000 faithful people that have not bowed the knee to Baal who are faithful to my cause and they need a prophet. They need somebody helping them, God. 
directing them, spiritually directing them, etc. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verse number nine, or verse number 16. He tells Elijah that Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah uh, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So he tells Elijah, not only do I want you to get up and be a prophet to the people of God, I want you to go find Elisha and I want you to make him a prophet. I want you to anoint him as a prophet. Elisha's been called to be a prophet of God to help lead uh, God's people. What he goes out to try to find Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 19, he finds him. Uh, so he departed thence, found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He went out there and he found Elisha. Elisha was plowing a field. He's a farmer. He's living a very simple lifestyle. He's not the son of a prophet. He wasn't called of, of some ancestral heritage of being prophets. He's just farming a field. He's got 12 yoke of oxen and he's out farming and, and Elijah tells him that God has called him to be a prophet of God. John chapter 6 and verse number 44. I just want you to notice the fact that no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Those are the words of Jesus and they speak to us today as well that God is calling us and there is a calling for us. Now there's different ways in which we can talk about that calling but I can tell you there's one calling that rings out that's 2,000 years old when he said come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly and hearty and you shall find rest unto yourselves for my yoke is easy my burden is light. Matthew 10 verse number 28. And I just want to tell you there's a calling. And you've been called. You've been called to serve in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Maybe you took that step and came to the front and the preacher took you into the baptistry. You made a confession of faith that said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And maybe the preacher said, upon that confession of faith and upon your obedience to the gospel of Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Ghost, for the remission of your sins. And you went down to that water and you came back up. I want to tell you there's a calling on your life. And you come out of the water of baptism. The old, old man's done away with. The new man's alive in Christ. And we begin to walk a Christian life. We've been called to be Christians. The New Testament talks about being called to be holy because God's holy. He's called us to a certain life. He's called us to a certain type of life. He's called us to be a certain kind of people. He's called us to think a certain way. To walk a certain way. To talk a certain way. That's what he's called us to do. There's a calling. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter your background. In the case of Elisha, a farmer, but I want you to know God uses people from a lot of different backgrounds. Notice the passage in Luke chapter 6. When it was day, he called unto him his disciples. He chose twelve. He also named them uh, his apostles. And they came from various different backgrounds as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13 says it's the word of God which calls us. It effectually works in us that believe. And I want to tell you God's word is speaking out today. God's word's alive. God's word is something that, that we can use, that we can listen to. It will guide our life. It will direct our footsteps. It's calling you into the service of God. And that's 2,000 years after Jesus himself did that. Now you can see the backgrounds of different individuals that Christ used or that God has used. A farmer in Elisha, fisherman in Peter, a carpenter in Christ, physician in Luke, tent makers in Priscilla and Aquila persecutor in Paul, a slave in Onesimus. And I want to tell you, God can use you in his service too. I'm not making fun of the concept of farming. Most of us 
probably come from agricultural roots to some degree or another. Either if it's not us, it's our parents or grandparents or somebody that was out plowing a field and or picking cotton or doing something to, to make life happen. That's kind of the way life was in the United States uh, years ago. And we've, we've moved away a lot of times from that agricultural society. And I'm not making fun of it at all, but I'm telling you, you know, they weren't curing cancer with farming. They're, they're doing a lot of good things. They're clothing America and all that sort of thing. But my point is, he's, Elisha's just living a simple lifestyle. He's just doing the things he normally would do. He's behind 12 yoke of oxen and he's called of God. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you were working against God. I want to tell you, God can use you in His kingdom. And God can use you in His service. And God calls you out of that old life into a new life to follow Him. Now, Elisha had a job to do. His job was to follow Elijah. His job was to mentor or be a mentoree to Elijah. Elijah was going to mentor him. Uh, his job was to minister to Elijah, to care for him. To You know, if Elijah needed somebody to fetch water, that's what Elisha was doing for him. He was training to be a prophet of God, essentially. First uh, Kings chapter 19 and verse number 20, he left the oxen. Once Elijah told Elisha to come follow him, he left the oxen. He ran after Elijah and he said, Let me, I pray, that you kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I to do with thee? Now, he comes to Elijah and he says, give me just a few seconds. I want to say bye to my folks over here before I head out. Now, I recognize the calling, etc., but I've got a couple of things I need to tend to before I'm headed that direction. So he goes back over to his family. And I just want you to notice, not only was Elisha called, but he was also called to be committed. He was called and committed to the cause. And we're going to see that here in this next verse, in verse number 21. He returned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. There's that phrase that his job was to minister to him. But there's a couple of things I want you to notice. There's a lot of stuff in this one verse that he goes back and he boils the oxen. He's not going back to farming. He's through farming. In fact... He's killed what it was he was farming with. In Texas, we might say that that's a, he went back and had a barbecue as opposed to boiling the oxen. But, you know, the reality is you get the picture. He's not going back to farming. He's not using the oxen anymore. Now I want you to notice the next phrase, with the instruments of the oxen. Probably use the instrument like the yoke and that type of thing as a part of the fire to build or boil the, the oxen and that kind of thing. He was not going back to farming. He was committed to the cause. And I want to tell you as well, God's asked us to not only be called, but called and committed to the cause. Do you remember John Mark in the first missionary journey? Paul takes off in Acts chapter 13 uh, for that first missionary journey. But before he does, they decide they're going to take some individuals with them. They took John, Mark, Barnabas, and Saul returned for Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry here in Acts 12, 25. They took with him John, whose surname was Mark. We call him John Mark. And they start, they head toward the missionary journeys. Now that first missionary journey, if you remember the book of Acts, is that uh, very short missionary journey. They left out of, out of Jerusalem and off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and they headed up uh, to the islands, then went up to Antioch and Pisidia and Lystra, Derby, Iconium, etc. and came back home. It's kind of a very short journey. But they took John Mark with them on that journey. And John Mark had a job to do. We're going to see some of that as well. Acts chapter 13 and verse number 5. His job was to be their 
minister. He was the guy that, you know, hey, if we need some water, would you mind going and doing the legwork here? Um, we were building our church building several years ago down in our part of the country, and I hired a guy to work with me on that church building. I was doing my job for free, but I hired a guy for $10 an hour to help me, and the guy's job was to, to minister to me. I didn't call it that, but his job was to be a helper. So I would stand on one end of two and a half acres, and I would say, I need that water hose from over there and his job was to go run over there and get the water hose and bring it back so I didn't have to do that there's a lot of reasons for that I'm in my late 40s and overweight and a few other issues it makes for long days if I'm doing all the legwork so the guy was well worth the $10 an hour one day he looked up at me and he said why don't you go get it and I said if I've got to go get it I don't need you that reason why I hired you was to go do those things that's the idea of being a minister that's the idea of taking John Mark along. If we need something, hey, carry this bag, that kind of thing. We need somebody to help us along this journey. That was John Mark had a job to do. And they start the they start the journey and they get along the way. Uh, they were at Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They had John with them there to be their minister. Acts 13 and verse number 13. When Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. They got halfway along the, the, the missionary journey, the first missionary journey and John Mark goes home. He's headed home to mama. He doesn't want to minister anymore. He's kind of raising up going, why don't you go get it? You know, that's kind of his idea is why don't you go get it? Go, well, if I needed to go get it, I wouldn't need you. You know, kind of thing. But he heads, he heads back home to mama. He's homesick, maybe. I don't know. But he didn't get the job done. He was hired to be the minister. He was hired to be their caretaker. He was hired to be their, their person to help them. And halfway through the journey, he heads back home and doesn't finish the journey. And you may remember this created quite some contention on the second missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas were discussing. Well, who do we want to take with us on this trip? And Paul thought it uh, not good to take with him who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them. And I want you to notice this phrase, to the work. Uh, he didn't want to go to the work. And he's talking about John Mark. He said, I don't think it's a good idea to take John Mark with us because when it came time to go to work, he didn't want to go. He wasn't with us. He decided to go back home to mama. He decided to quit early. We don't think that's a good idea. Well, John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. Uh, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Barnabas took Mark, sailed into Cyprus. You remember uh, Paul took Silas with him. They went separate directions. I will tell you later on in the story of John Mark, later on in the story of Paul, John Mark was useful to him. He talked about it there in Peter. said, bring John Mark. He's profitably be profitable to me for the ministry, etc. So the contention didn't stay there forever. But they had a contention. They didn't want to take him on that journey. I can tell you when John Mark's story came alive to me in Scripture. You know, I'd heard the story and all that kind of thing, but it came alive to me in Scripture as we were in Nigeria uh, back in 1997, a long time ago. We had several guys, and, and I just basically tell you, you know, I know on America's side, some people think when you go to Nigeria or you go to one of these places like India or whatever, you're taking a vacation. But I will tell you, it isn't that way. Uh, it is some beautiful scenery if you get out on the coast and that kind of thing. It's pretty to look at. But basically... You're going to a smog-infested, hot, 
can't sleep at night, no air conditioning, swap mosquitoes sort of type place. It's Now, if you like rough camping, it might be vacationing to you. If you like RV camping, it doesn't, it's, it's not going to be that comfortable for you in the process. It's just, it stinks. It, it doesn't have facilities for, by way of bathroom and all that sort of stuff. You're just not, it's not a vacation. You're not, you know, that's not the idea of it. Well, I can tell you in 1997, we were all sitting in Simeon's living room, and I say we all, but several of us were sitting in Simeon's living room, and we were basically going to be there for three weeks, and we were looking at the clock going, just two more weeks, and we get to go back to the United States. Just two more weeks, we can endure this hole we're in. It just two more weeks we can get back. And Simeon walked through the living room and goes, John Mark, John Mark, John Mark. That's all we ever have. People that never want to finish the journey. They never want to do the job. They never want to get the job completed. They always want to head back to the United States. Well, there's a reason for it. But I will tell you, that's essentially what John Mark was doing. John Mark was sitting in the living room of Nigeria going, I don't like this. This isn't fun. Let's go back home. Let's go to America. Let's go back where it's comfortable, where I can hug mom. All that sort of stuff. Just gave up early on the ministry. I want to tell you, that was not Elisha. Elisha was committed to the cause. Elisha made a determination. I'm not going back to farming. I'm not going back to mama. I'm not going back. The journey's over. I want to tell you, we're boiling the oxen and we'll take the instruments of the oxen. We'll take care of it. We're not coming back to farming. It's over. We're committed to the cause. We've been called to be a prophet of God. And I hope you take your calling to God that serious as well. Do you remember uh, the story of Cortez? Cortez came to the Americas and landed and his, his men got on, on shore and, and they saw pestilence and disease and harsh winters and, and war. People wanting to fight against them, make, trying to maintain control for the territory. And, and his men were basically very disheartened. And they would look over there off the shoreline and they would see the ships out there in the shore and they would just kind of think, you know, we could end this any time and go back to the motherland. There's absolutely no reason why we have to keep out here under all these undue hardships. And you remember what Cortez said? He saw what his people were doing. He saw that his men were looking out there across the, the, the shoreline. He saw what they were doing and he said, burn the ships. You know what Cortez was saying? We're here. We're not going anywhere. We're committed to this mission. The, the only way we're leaving this place is if we build new ships because we're not going to have the ships to go home on that we had when we got here. They were committed to the cause. You ever heard the term all in? You know what I mean when I say all in? Are you all in with Christ? If you made a decision that I'm all in, that I'm committed to the cause, I've been called to be a Christian, I've been called to be a part of his ministry, his work, his efforts, and I'm all in. All in can't be 10% in. All in isn't 50% in. All in isn't 60% in. All in, uh, to us, I can tell you what all in means. A lot of times, all in means until it gets just, you know, uncomfortable. The, the air conditioning is not exactly the way I like it. I'm all in until then. Or I'm all in until somebody looks at me the wrong way and offends me or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Are you all in? 100% committed to the calling that God's asked you to... You know, when we all decide to get all in, it changes things. 
changes our ministry effort. It changes what we do in a community. It changes how we're perceived in a community. It changes the lives we touch for the cause of Christ when we decide to be all in. 100% committed to the cause. Now, Luke chapter 9 and verse number 62. You remember the words of Jesus, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. A lot of times what people do is they'll start the journey with Christ or they'll start walking with Christ and then they're looking back. Satan's out there saying, Isn't it pleasurable out here? Isn't it fun out here? Yeah, it is for a minute. And then it's very destructive out there. And I cannot tell you the number of people that buy into the lie. And it's a lie. It is Satan lying to you that it's more fun or that it's happier or whatever when it's all said and done out there. I want to tell you, when you make a commitment to serve Christ, be all in with that commitment. Don't be looking back. There's nothing to look back at. Head to the uh, cause of Christ. Um, not only, well, I'm going to move you over to 2 Kings chapter 2. Not only was Elisha called, and not only was he called to be committed, but he was also called to be present and committed. I want you to see the story here in um, 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse number 2, Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now this happened several times through the chapter. I'm going to take a couple of examples for it. But Elijah said in verse number 4 unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came down to Jericho. Now, and he did that with several other cities. But basically what's happening is Elijah is, is taking Elisha. They're walking along together. They're doing their prophet of God thing. And, and finally he tells Elisha, he said, you just stay here a few minutes. He said, I'm going to go over here and take care of some business. I'm going to Bethel. And he says, I'm not leaving your side. I was called to be committed to this cause. I'm supposed to be ministering to you. I'm supposed to be mentored by you. I'm not leaving you. I'm by your side. I'm not going anywhere. And so they ultimately went up to Bethel. And, and he went through that with several seats. He said, you just stay right here. I'm going to go up here to Jericho for a minute. And I've got some business to take care. I'm not leaving your side. I've been called to be committed to this cause. I'm here to minister to you. I'm here to take care of this. I'm here to be a prophet of God. I'm here to learn everything I can learn from you. I'm supposed to be by your side. I'm not going anywhere. And he didn't go anywhere else. And then they came along. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 8. They came along, they came to a brook, and that's where this story picks up. Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over onto dry ground. And I know that sounds King Jamesy, but I'll put it in my Texas instead of King Jamesy's. Um, but basically, they come up to a brook, and Elijah takes his mantle, wraps it, and he smites the water, and they have one of those Moses moments. The water parts, and they walk through on dry ground. Now they go a little further down the road in verse number 9. It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Once again, I'll try to translate it for you. They, they, they walk and Elijah hits his mantle. The waters part. They walk through on dry ground. They go up a little further down the road. And Elisha, Elijah asked Elisha, What? good thing would you like for me to do to you? It's not going to be long. I'm going to be taken up from you. And he is here in chapter 2, taken up in a whirlwind a little later. But he said, it's not going to be long. I'm going to be taken up from you. What good thing would you like me to do for you? What what kind of thing would you like to have happen? He says, you remember that part in the waters thing? You remember when we walked through on dry ground? You kept your He said, I'd like two of those. Now, I'd like that ability 
to do that. That's pretty impressive stuff. Now look at verse number 10. He said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, I, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. You know, basically what Elijah's telling him is, if you're present, you've you've told me you're committed to this cause. You told me you're not going to leave my side. You told me you're going to minister to me. If you're present when I'm taken up in a whirlwind, you'll get a double portion of that spirit upon you. But if you're not present, if you're not accounted for, you're not going to get it. And how much energy would Elisha then have to be by his side? Hey, man, I'm not leaving you for any reason. He was already committed not to leaving him, but now he's got an opportunity for two of those. I'm not leaving your side. I'm not doing anything. And then we remember Elisha, verse number 11, or excuse me, Elijah. I do the same thing. Elijah, in verse number 11, was taken up from him. It came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. So here Elijah, his mentor, is taken up, never saw death, taken up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha was present when that happened. And that mantle came down from Elijah and came to Elisha. And Elisha had a a choice, really. What am I going to do? And I can tell you that where we're leaving Elisha this morning before we begin this afternoon is Elisha's at the bank of the Jordan and he's in grief. And when you see the phrase in the Old Testament, I can't tell you how many Old Testament stories we're going to look at this week that talk about rending clothes or sitting in sackcloth and ashes or they rent their clothes in two pieces, that kind of thing. That's a sign of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, or grief or extreme sadness. He is distraught over the fact that his mentor has now left him. And he's standing by the Jordan and he's got the mantle in his hand. He's got the ability to do twice what the guy before him theoretically could have done. You see what I'm saying? And now he's in grief because what am I going to do? Okay? And this afternoon we're going to talk about that just a little bit. What do we do when we go through difficult times? But I want to take this morning's topic and I want you to walk away with some lessons that, that I think are important lessons for us as we begin this meeting this week. Number one, God's called you. God's calling you today. His Word is calling you today. His voice from His Word is calling you today. Come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to tell you there's a calling that's happening today. Has He called you? Are you listening to the call Because I can tell you no greater decision could you ever make in your life than to make the decision to listen to the call of God. That says, I want you serving in my kingdom. I want you serving in my service. I want you serving as a person. I want you to be called to holiness. I want you to be called to the life that I've asked you to be called to. Are you called? The answer is yes. Are you listening to the call? That's an answer you've got to make this morning. But I can tell you, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your lineage. It doesn't matter if your parents were Christians or not Christians. It doesn't matter if you were eternal prophets forever. It doesn't matter. God can call you, and God does call you, and God is calling you. 
And God wants you to serve in His kingdom. Are you willing to do that today? Number two, not only has God calling this morning, but God wants you to be all in. God wants you to be committed, faithful followers. He wants you all in. He wants you when you make that decision for it to be an all in decision. That I'm not looking back. I'm not... I'm not going back home to mama. I'm not hoping we can go back to the motherland like the story of Cortez. But I'm all in. We're going to do this thing and we're going to do it right. And we're going to live our life the way God's intended for us to live it. And we're going to use our marriage to God's glory. And we're going to raise our grandchildren to God's glory. We're going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be because we're all in. We're committed to this. Are you answering that faithful and committed cause. Maybe there's some here today that have looked back. Maybe have found themselves separated from God through negligence or other things and and find yourself looking back the other direction. I want to tell you today God's asked you to be committed to His cause. If you take the calling on your life, don't turn back. Don't separate yourself from God. Don't don't find yourself separated from God. Make a daily decision every day that this is the calling that I'm going to be faithful to. It's the calling I made. Most important decision you'll ever make in your life. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. Paul's writing to Timothy and he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Are you one of those that's counted as faithful? That I... When I put raised my hand and said, I'm taking on the mantle of Christ and I'm going to be buried with Him in baptism and I'm going to rise with Him and walk a new life, I've been counted faithful and I've been proven to be faithful. I've been committed to that cause. Is that the case with you? And thirdly, this morning, I want you to walk away with the fact that God wants you present. You know, all of these principles can be used in so many different ways. Um, maybe you've taken on, I know recently you guys had a wedding in this part of the country. Congratulations to you guys as well. Um, but maybe God's called you to be a husband this morning. Or a wife this morning. Are you a Christian husband, Christian wife? And when you took on that commitment, did you take it on as it's a commitment, I'm all in, I'm going to be here, I'm committed to the cause. We stand there before the preacher and we say, till death do us part. Is that really what we mean? That we're all in, we're 100% committed until death do us part? You know, these principles work in so many ways in life because I can tell you the society we live in, that's not the case. Marriages are like Kleenexes. You use them and you throw them away. And no respect for the institution of marriage. I want to encourage you today that if you make that commitment to be a Christian husband, that you're all in with that commitment. That we really are going to dedicate our family to God. We really are going to be the people God's asked us to be. I encourage you to do that. But I will tell you, a lot of times, and maybe guys that maybe struggle with this more than ladies, maybe not. But I think a lot of times guys get to thinking that, you know, well, I'm committed. I'm bringing home a paycheck. You know, I'm working 900 hours a week. But they ought to know I'm committed. I'm working 900 hours a week. But you know, there's more to commitment than just sending home a paycheck. And present makes a difference. It makes a difference in your home. It makes a difference in your family. It makes a difference in your children. I'd encourage you to analyze the importance of being present and committed. You know, that same thing's true in the church. 
sometimes people, I think, genuinely have a heart that says, I'm committed to what they're doing. You know, I'm generally committed to what they're doing. I'm just not present for what they're doing. And I want to encourage you to seriously analyze your life and recognize the fact that present is an important part of commitment, of showing commitment, of being committed even. I'm a part of an organization in our part of the country that uh, it's kind of a long story to get into, but but part of their requirements are attendance requirements in the organization. And I can tell you the reasonable requirements. You know, you can miss or you can send somebody in your place or those kind of things. But there's a reason why they have those requirements. To be a part of that organization is if people aren't present to the organization, you don't have an organization at some point in time. You know, you can sit all day long and say, I'm committed to that. That Man, that's a great deal. That's real worth it. It's really good. But I'm busy. I'm doing something different. And the reality is pretty soon you don't have an organization. And I'd just like you to take a moment this morning and recognize the importance of being present and committed. And I know you're thinking right now, he's fixing to quote Hebrews 10 and 25 that says, Not forsaking the assembling yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. But I'm not going to. Because what I want to use is 1 Peter 2 and 17 that says, Love the brotherhood. And I will tell you, if we really develop that kind of love for each other, attendance really isn't a problem. Being present really isn't a problem. We look forward to being there. I'm thrilled at home to be a part of a congregation. We've got our issues at times and things like that. We're not a super-duper perfect group of people by any stretch. I mean, but they're super-duper in the sense they're Christian people that want to serve God. But I can tell you generally in our congregation at home, there is a feel in our congregation that people want to be there on Wednesday nights. That's a neat thing for me. I'm talking about just down deep in my soul, the fact that people are there not because we have a service and all we got to be there, but they want to be there. It's people who genuinely want to go see each other in the middle of the week. Now, I recognize you guys do midweek studies and other things and all that kind of stuff, but where's your heart in that? Is your heart, hey, I want to? Or is your heart, oh, well, I have to? You see the difference in those things? And I would like for you to analyze the fact how important it is to be present. Now, I recognize, everybody recognizes, everybody can't be present for everything and do everything. Everybody knows that. I recognize that I can't be present at everything. I try to do everything I can do to be a part. I feel committed to that cause, want to, and I know there's times I can't and feel bad about it when I can't, beat myself up over it when I can't. My point is, where's your heart in it? You know, I'd rather sometimes have folks that maybe necessarily couldn't be there, but I want a group of people who would have been there if it had been all possible, if that makes sense. That their heart's there and they're dedicated to being there. If it's at all possible to do that because they love what it is the church does. They love the brotherhood. They love what's happening. They love the Word of God. They love studying the Word of God. They love sharing the Word of God. They love everything about what it is that the Word of God and the church does for us in our lives. Do you love the brotherhood? Do you love the Word of God? Are you committed to the cause of being present? I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Have you taken on that responsibility? We leave Elisha. He's standing at the brink of the, of, of the River Jordan. He's in grief because Elijah's gone. And Elisha's got a decision to make. What does he do? 
What does he do from this point on? His whole job was to learn how to be a prophet. His whole job was to minister to Elijah. Now Elijah's gone. What's he going to do? We're going to look at that story this afternoon. If you're here this morning and not obeyed a call to the gospel, that call is ringing out this morning. And I would beg of you to listen to the call. Most important decision you ever make in your life. It will change the way you walk. It will change the way you talk. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you do business in life. If you'll answer the call of God upon your life. Have you heard His word? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Confess His name before men? Be buried with Him in baptism? To rise and walk in newness of life? The old man will be behind. But I want to ask you this morning not to just make that a decision, a vain decision or a, or a uh, casual decision. But I'd like for you to, this morning to make that a committed decision. That I'm all in, God. I am 100% all in, dedicated, committed to it. And thirdly, I'm going to be present and accounted for. I'm going to be here, going to be a part of what's happening. As you make that decision this morning, we're going to sing a song. And you can stand there during that song. You can hold the back of the pew and never respond. Or you can make your way to the front this morning and, and sit down on one of these front benches. Your elders here will help you and assist you. And, and may God bless you in that decision because I want to tell you it's the most important decision you'll ever make. Can you make that decision for God this morning as we stand and sing the song that's been selected?